0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. In the year 2011, there was a neo-Nazi and self-proclaimed fascist in Norway who killed 77 People, most of them were teens at a summer camp that he gunned down in Norway. And for those 77 lives that he shot, and some of them that he had bombed, Norwegian law sentenced him to 21 years of prison. That's the maximum amount for any crime in Norway, even for their bloodiest day since World War II. It was the worst mass shooting by any one gunman in modern Western history, maybe ever. But 21 years is the maximum sentence in their law. This month, 2024, January, he is suing Norway for his human rights and to end his confinement. He has access to kitchen, TV, sports, and other privileges, but those are not enough human rights, he is arguing. And he's still got eight years left on his sentence. Eight years before he could walk. And as we think of justice, there's some governments that don't bring justice to killers, but there's also some who kill unjustly. In other parts of the world... This century, many cultures still multiply revenge and, and honor killings are, are part, even if they're not sanctioned by the government. In some places, you can be executed for disrespecting a man or Muhammad, someone who's been dead hundreds of years. Hostages are held by terrorists for ransom. We need to remember there's more than 100 still in Gaza to pray for. There's people in the world put in slavery for some of the smallest of crimes and kept there, and no protections against abuse. There's men who beat women or workers like animals. There's a society that is teaching kids that they are evolved animals. To some Westerners, animal rights are the same as human rights. And unborn animals, maybe even more. But what if you're animal kills another human being? That's one of the questions that's going to come up in the text that we're going to look at today. What if a thief gets hurt robbing people? Should he be able to sue and win? There's many thefts that aren't prosecuted as much anymore, anymore, but there are bad people to this day who prosecute good people and win. And, And when men are convicted of crimes, should tax dollars cover the loss or is there a way that they can pay back society and in all this should we look to god's law or governments or insurance to address issues and hold accountable negligence if you would please turn with me to god's word exodus chapter 21 god's wisdom is going to speak to these kind of questions and if you're joining us here today we've been studying through the book of exodus and we've seen in this chapter for murder God calls for life for life. Chapter 21 has already said any who steal or sell slaves or hostages or kill or including unborn life should die. And then, in verse 24, where we're going to pick up, is that famous principle of biblical justice that the law's penalties should fit the crime. The, the idea of eye for eye, tooth for tooth is, has been explained. That doesn't mean inflicting bodily injury exactly the same. It's that the the harm done to a person is there's a commensurate justice to be served. And it's not to be greater, as revenge would dictate, to, to get them back worse. It's not to be less, as some of the indulgent might desire. It's the principle of equal justice for all, regardless of who they are, regardless of what their status in society was. This is something very different than all the other ancient laws that ranked offenses based on what class of society you were in. But God's law is speaking here of financial compensation that matches the severity and does not exceed the Injury. So look with me at Exodus 21, verse 24. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth someone wants to seriously hurt a vulnerable worker, that would mean a, a serious loss to them. They would no longer have that worker for years. But verse 24 is not saying what, what is done to your eye, you do back, or your tooth, you do back to them. It's not a literal formula for physical revenge. It's, it's for fair remuneration, and it's actually limiting retaliation. And it goes on to say right there in verse 26... And 27, if a slave had damage to his eye or his tooth in abuse, he would be free. That would be a big financial blow to a bad boss. And when you hear that word slave, think of an indentured servant who is paying off debt because that's the the context we've looked at before. This is not U.S. slavery. This is the context of of Genesis 46 when they're saying, please buy us, we're going to, we're going to die. Let us work for you and have food as we work for you and, and commit to you. And These were indentured servants. And When you read that, I'm going to read the word ox here in a second. Think of, a lot of us don't have oxen. I don't know if any of us do, but think of an animal in those days of valuable work or even transportation. If you were an Israelite farmer in some cases, you might ride oxen or they might help you plow fields. But we can think of vehicles that we... Ride today as well. And we can think of principles of keeping others safe as we think of when it's going to talk about animals here. If your dog attacks, or if you drive reck- recklessly, or while intoxicated, if you're ignoring warnings, if you cause damage to others, or cause others even to die, or property damaged by what you own and how you've not cared for it, this is what this passage is going to address. principles of criminal liability. Verse 28, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. That is to the Death penalty, verse 29, but if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, notice that word, that's a key word we'll come back to later. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. So there was a way that he wouldn't have to die if there was a ransom in that case. Verse 31, if it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. So there were some occasions in verse 28 where the owner was not liable but it seems to be more if there was a, a vulnerable slave or indentured servant involved. There was an additional paid in that case. You might wonder, why kill the ox? Well, well, for one, if it had killed, to make sure it would never kill again. But also, an, an image bearer of God is so important. that Genesis 9-5, God said, For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast... I will require it and from man. And then he says this, because God made man in his own image. This is what sets human life apart from animal life. And human life must never be taken wrongly or recklessly. Even by animals, there is a life for life principle. And then someone might wonder as they're reading that, well, is it okay to kill someone else's animals, even accidentally? By what you do carelessly, this is what verse 33 speaks to. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. There's another key word, restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay, there's another key word, repay, ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun had risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Now, we are not under Israel's judicial law But there are principles of general equity. Some of the confessions talk about that. There's principles here. And so today I'm not going to focus on the gory details of goring oxen. And hopefully you're not super interested in that. There is a bigger picture here. There is biblical principles here that we need to consider. And, And here's one of the big ones. When a wrong happens... So these are just some examples here. But when a wrong happens, what is the right response? What's the right response if you were the one who caused or contributed to that wrong? How should one repay for theft or debt? And even as I ask these questions, I know there's families here that have been impacted by tragedy. Families that have been impacted even by manslaughter, accidents, accidents. And this is a, something the Bible speaks to and the importance of how we keep others safe on our property or on the road. This is not just a criminal issue. This is a, a biblical issue. I've heard there are some people who drive distracted, just hypothetically. Maybe there's some people who drive distracted. We need to consider how we heed police warnings. Are we keeping other people safe? Do we have insurance for, for damages that might be caused to others? In recent months across our state, I was looking at this, there have been intruders breaking and entering who have been shot dead. And defending your home in the dark from an armed robber, this passage does speak to that. And there's not a, a blood guilt for that under certain scenarios. But it also says in this passage, if it is broad daylight and you're able to see he's not armed, there's a different level of liability. And Even the principles here for police shootings, we might say, in our day, there's principles here. This is not just obsolete law from ancient times. There's principles that are timely to our times. People here have been stolen from. In our days, it's not animals as much as it was in those days, but, but you've, people here have been stolen from. There's people here who have lost loved ones. Sometimes too. there's even recklessness involved or vehicles involved. There's good people here who face bad situations or have to go to court to settle liability from the past there are sad situations with families and animals i remember the sad day we had to put our dog down because of the very principles of this text it was unsafe i remember as a kid watching old yeller and crying when the dog the rabid dog had to die so that people wouldn't die and it made sense but there's there's an emotional element there in 2013 a city of los angeles animal shelter was found liable for negligence of an animal that a former owner had turned this animal in and had reported that it had bitten the owner and the owner considered it a threat but there was a worker who they didn't tell that to who was alone with this great big dog that she wasn't gored by this dog but she was torn badly by bites thought she was gonna die and the city paid dearly for not handling warnings responsibly she survived, but there are others who die each year from attacks by animals owned by others. Last year, there was a judge who denied parole to a, a San Francisco dog owner who is in jail serving 15 years to life for a situation where they had a big dog that was known to be aggressive. It had lashed out and attacked in the past. There were multiple warnings, and then, tragically, it mauled a neighbor to death, and the owner was convicted of second-degree murder. We have laws for animals. We have laws to keep cattle fenced on the freeway there so that they don't come out on the road and cause a fatal accident. There's laws about swimming pools to keep them safe so that a young son or daughter doesn't drown. Exodus 21 talks about having open pits that are not covered, and you may not have that on your property, but There are open pools today. There are other types of safety signs and warnings and lights and vehicles and things that warn us so that more damage doesn't come. The main point of this is not animals. It's valuable human life. And the New Testament also says the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. And so that's where we're going to get as well. We are responsible and how we value life. That's the main point. But there's 3 subpoints, three key words that I want us to consider with this text. The first one is restoration. Chapter 21, verse 34. Talks about making restoration. And then repayment will be the second key word. Verse 36, right in the middle there. He shall repay. And then the word ransom, going back to verse 30 of chapter 21. If a ransom is imposed... So we'll look at restoration, repayment, and ransom. And restoration starts in verse 26 through 27 to, with what to do when you can't restore. There's sometimes damages that you can't restore if you've permanently damaged someone or knocked out their tooth or their eye. And in that case, because human life is so valuable to God, he calls for restoring freedom to, that, to a slave who would be injured. God's law is restoring the sanctity and dignity of all human life in a world that dehumanized slaves. There's no other laws like this in all the ancient world, but God's image is being restored in his law. Man's law in ancient times allowed you to beat and treat fellow human beings like property if they were lower in class to you. God's law said no, and any slave would be made a free man for that, and any slave could flee a bad master. And earlier in the chapter, it even talks about those who would mistreat a wife. There's ancient and American laws that that required a runaway slave to be returned to his master. So if a runaway slave came to you, there were laws, not only in ancient times, but in America, that that slave needed to be returned. Listen to Deuteronomy twenty-three, fifteen: Do not return a slave to his master when he has escaped from his master to you. Let him live among you wherever he wants within your gates. Do not mistreat him. Do not wrong him. Do not oppress him. If a runaway is seeking refuge. That was a way to make sure if there was injustice happening that they could flee and they could find a, a safe place among God's people. Think of indentured bond servants not being treated right is that context. They could flee and they could be free. They could be restored. A Jewish writer named Kasudo writes that the Torah is the only ancient Lako that includes a punishment for mistreating a slave. In all other codes, a man would not be punished for harming a slave any more than some inanimate object he owned. The Torah, that's the book of Moses, in contrast, was morally superior not only to that but to modern U.S. law into the 1860s. Like verse 20, where owners who killed a slave were to be Executed, And like verse 16, that executed slave traders or slave owners from a captured system like the United States did. And any human being mistreated, any human being who lost their life, there was this process of liability. But in verse 32, there was an extra penalty if, a, if there was a slave worker in a compensation case, an indentured servant case, an and ox was already a big loss, a loss of money that the owner would lose for its work. And, and it says they would lose, it, lose its food also. When, when an ox would kill someone, it says that ox was not to be eaten. It was considered unclean in the law. That would, that would be a massive loss. This alone would make you want to be careful to make sure that this couldn't even possibly happen because that, that was a massive amount of food for your family but if it took away work from another too, there was also a massive additional fine if the one whose life was taken was an indentured servant because all life is precious, all, all life is to be protected. But in verse 32, there was an extra 30 shekels, which was above and beyond. And it was even higher than other ancient laws would have for indentured servitude. 20 shekels was what Joseph was wrongly sold for, sinfully sold in Genesis 37. But Israel's law here is even setting a, a value higher at 30. This is, you could buy real estate with 30 shekels. You could buy a field in another scripture for 30 shekels. And so you not only lost a highly valuable. A resource to yourself, your animal, but your ability to buy land could be lost if, if it took the life of someone else's worker. If you had a law like that, that would make you control your ox. That would make you be extra careful when others around and other workers were around. Our, word, our world, our working system is very different today, but this may be the first workman's comp law. It's actually right and biblical that when there is serious and permanent hurt on a job that someone has some way to be compensated for that. It's it's actually very right to have rights protecting persons and property and safety from negligence and accidents. This is not something that was invented in more modern times. Hammurabi's code from around the time of Israel was, this was one of the things that it said to, when you had an ox with horns, It was expected that you would cut its horns, especially if this ox, there was any danger from it. But in those other law codes, if your animal accidentally killed someone else, there was just a fine that you would pay if it killed a fellow human. God's law actually put a negligent owner's life on the line because of the sanctity of human life. To recklessly not protect the lives of others in God's image could cost you yours. And so this principle of this law is saying you need to be extra careful with your home, on the road, and when you're around other vulnerable people, the the poor, elderly, little kids, even being careful how we are here. Why does verse 31 have to say it's the same rule for a son or daughter? In the other ancient Locos, This is kind of interesting. It's it's not the right way, but this was how they did it. If a man's ox killed another man's son or daughter, then your son or daughter would be killed. This was common. God's law says, no, the, the owner alone is punished, not his son or daughter. Deuteronomy 24 says, children are not to be put to death for their father's sin. And verse 35 moves to restoration and right relations with neighbors. You ever heard of the horns of a dilemma? Well, there, it was a dilemma if, if your cow with its goring horns has come against your neighbor. But when that would happen, they would need to determine is this a, a no-fault gore situation or not? And, and if so, there was a way that they would actually, both owners would come together. They would share the cow, the food of the animal that had died. So think of a, this big barbecue fellowship, if you will. The live cow was sold. And then they would share the proceeds of that live cow to help with the loss to help rebuild. Again, this is a massive investment. But in verse 33, if a donkey falls into your unsafe pit... Verse 34 says, you make restoration and he gets to eat the dead animal. This is assuming the animal fell. If the animal fell and it wasn't dead, of course, you'd do everything to pull it out of that pit. And chapter 22 adds sheep to the restoration process. And we need to understand this is not just principles for livestock. This is about people. And this is about loving people. Neighbors. The Old Testament itself compares oxen to God's people. So, at the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, he says, "The oxen knows its owner, but but Israel, my people, do not know me." God is saying that he's he's using oxen as an analogy for his for his people and and. Jesus said the law is all about love, and he actually talked about these animals, ox and donkey and sheep, to argue from the lesser to the greater the value of lovingly restoring people. Listen to Luke thirteen fifteen. Jesus said, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? He just healed this woman and they're upset because it's on the Sabbath. They're trying to find something against him and all they can do is he's he's doing good, but it's the wrong day. And he, and he says, you guys still feed your animals and care for their needs on the Sabbath. And you're going to get on my case for helping this woman who has for 18 years been bound. Can I not loose her like you would loose your animal? He's rebuking them, calling them out. Luke 14:5. Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out? Even if it's the Sabbath. Matthew twelve eleven. which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it up? Of how much more value is man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to a man who had a dead hand, stretch out that hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy. His dead flesh, Jesus restored to life. And he said to all of those there, how much more valuable is man than a sheep? All those principles, those things from their context and from their culture, we need to realize how much more so should we treat people lovingly we, we've all fallen in sin, but, but there's this picture of, of Psalm 30, verse 3. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. I was like an, an animal fallen into a, a pit, no way to get myself out, but you restored me from the pit. Psalm 23, verse 3. The Good Shepherd, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores what? My soul. So he restores. It's the same language from here, but he restores my soul. He's the, the good shepherd who loves and leads all who, like sheep, had gone astray, which is all of us. He restores. This is the language from the law, but it comes to be language in the gospel. And even in the prophets, one of the prophets says this, God says, I will restore you Double. That's language right out of this section of Exodus. Restoring double for lost. And even from lost years of, of work, he says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. The Lord says that in Joel. it 's so one application for us is 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And it says there in First Peter, after you have suffered... For a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore you and will make you strong and firm and steadfast. He can restore beyond what any man can do. The Lord cares for and restores his people, and he calls us to as well. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians nine. 9. It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox. So here's an ox again. When it treads out the grain, Paul says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? In other words, is that, is that all that that was there for, that passage about oxen? He says, is it just oxen that God is concerned about? No, he says, does he not certainly speak this for our sake? It was written for our sake, he says. And then he's talking there about caring for the needs of missionaries. Even as we give to missionaries and support ministers of the, of the gospel. That's a principle. That's an application of, of how God cared for all and even oxen in Old Testament times. 2 Corinthians thirteen seven. We pray to God that you may not do wrong. So the wrong we might be tempted to do may look different. But whatever it is. We pray that you do not do wrong to your neighbor. And then verse 9, he says, Your restoration is what we pray for. Verse 11, he says, Aim for restoration. This is something we need to aim for in our relationships. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. You may not see an animal, fall into an open pit. But what do you do if you see a brother or sister who has fallen into a sin and they can't get out of it? They're, in the language of the New Testament, caught, stuck in a trespass. What do you do? Galatians 6.1 says, Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted so that you don't also fall into a pit and get stuck as you're trying to help them and, and to not be tempted to be harsh to be gentle bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ that's how we fulfill the law by understanding what christ calls us to christ in matthew five twenty three said also when you're when you're at worship and you remember that your brother, your sister has something against you, go seek to be reconciled. Restore. Seek to restore as much as is possible, as far as it depends on you. That's restoration. But there's another key word and concept for valuing life, and that's repayment. I'm thinking here, especially with criminal acts, Exodus 21, the middle of verse 36. He shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. Chapter 22, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. You've heard the saying, crime doesn't pay. But God's law is saying it should pay back. And the ox repayment plan is one for one if it took out another ox but it was five times if you stole it and sold it. So if you took someone's ox and then sold it, stole it and then sold it, you would owe them five in return. Same if you steal, sell, or kill an ox. For a sheep, it's four times, and I think that speaks to the the highest valued animal they might normally have would be an ox, and also maybe because sheep kind of tend to wander. I don't know. I have four cats that I, I wouldn't miss if they w- wandered off and didn't come back. But if, if you lost an ox in those days, that would be a, a massive loss. A big investment, financial, it would be gone. If you were found with that stolen animal, in verse 4, the payback was a two-for-one deal. Kevin DeYoung says all this talk of four sheep for one taken, two sheep for one feels kind of like playing Settlers of Catan, if you guys know that game. But here's another law, Leviticus 6, four. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or the lost thing that he found, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. So God's law actually had a lesser penalty. If you if you repented, if you weren't caught, if you realized your guilt and you went to make it right and to restore as soon as possible, and it wasn't because of justice brought upon you, you just were convicted and wanted to go make it right, that would be like stealing a 100 dollars, and you feel convicted, you go back to the person you confess, and you pay him 120 dollars. But if he found you with his stolen bike worth a 100 dollars you had to pay him back times two or times four if you had destroyed his bike. You don't just give him the destroyed bike and three more. No, you had to give him four. Think about that. If at the minimum you had to pay twice for even having stolen goods, that would make you think twice about accepting what may be stolen. But think about this also. If there's something more, much more valuable, like maybe today like a... a A jewel or a a necklace that you stole and sold, you would owe five of the exact same in return. Just think about that. If even one ox was so highly valued, crime does not pay if you have to repay fivefold. That would affect robbery rates, I think. Don't steal treasure. Jesus would apply this principle. Store up treasure in heaven where, where no thief can break in and steal. Kevin DeYoung explains, if the only penalty for stealing a car was giving the car back, what's to lose? If you aren't caught, you have the car. If you are caught, well, they have the car. But paying it back plus some was compensation for the loss of time, labor, and convenience, and it served as a deterrent against future crimes. According to other ancient Near Eastern laws, thieves were actually to be put to death. Here, thieves had a way that they could pay. According to Hammurabi's code, there, there were to be penalties only for stealing from someone of the same social standing or higher. So if someone was lower in class than you, you could, you could steal and there wasn't much of a penalty. But God's law says, no, all must repay. But what if you couldn't? What if you couldn't repay? You were poor. You had nothing. Middle of verse th- 3 chapter 22 if he has nothing then he shall be sold for his theft and in the context of the ancient near east a thief who couldn't repay was often executed in various countries and cultures today they may be incarcerated but god's law gave another way convicted what we might call grand theft was to be repaid by the convict himself working to pay off his debt. And so when verse 2 talks about buying a slave, or verse 3, or chapter 21, verse 2, talks about buying a slave, this is one reason people would be sold and bought. It was to to pay off their debts, to, to work off their debts. It was called debt slavery. So rather than the government just assume a debt by increasing government debt for all of these different people, the criminal had a way that he could work off that debt. Instead of taxpayers paying for years in jail, he was actually, the criminal was paying in indentured service up to six years. They had to contribute back to society until that debt was paid off, and the another owner would buy that contract, so then that debt was settled, and now he worked for him as a slave or as an indentured servant. This was not the system for menaces or murderers who their law would execute, but there were ways that others could pay instead of prison, instead of a, a bailout or just jail till you're out. There was a way that you could repay a debt that you owe. And there's a place for, certainly, I'm, I'm glad today bad men are locked away to keep safe others. But it is interesting to think about this principle and this ideal from God of repaying. And also to think about, does a penitentiary make someone penitent? And what is biblical penitence or repentance involved? As we think through and wrestle with these things, there's restoration and repayment where significant wrongs have been done. Again, this is not just about stealing sheep. This is about people. And we know that even in the Old Testament, David had someone come and tell him a story of a, of a man who had wrongly taken a sheep, a little lamb from someone else, and then had, had killed it. And, and David hears this story, and he's indignant, and he says, that man must die, and he must repay fourfold. Where did David have that sense of justice? It comes out of God's law, but David was blind to the fact that Nathan tells him, you are that man. I'm not just talking about animals here. I'm talking about you, what you did, David. You took Uriah's life. You took Uriah's wife. You are that man. You deserve to die. You deserve to pay fourfold. David deserved to die, but he repented. Still, there were consequences that were paid in manifold ways, even though his life was not paid but he prayed, here's what, part of what he prayed in Psalm 51. This is a heart of someone who's wanting to be restored. He he prays and he recognizes his wrong against the Lord ultimately. And part of what he prays is, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. That, that's the, the bigger picture of when we do wrongs, we're not right with God. We need to pray. We need to repent. Psalm 51 is a great pattern. Psalm 32 to pray for God to make heart your right, to renew your heart, to restore to you the, the joy of salvation. Sin in our relationships can, can suck away that joy. We need to pray for God to restore it. So even in the Old Testament we see that, but in the New Testament we certainly see that. There was a wee little man once, remember him? A wee little man was he, what's his name, kids? The wee little man. Zacchaeus, right? He climbed up in that sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord. Because he knew he had been a tax collector. He had been extorting money from people. And he says this, as he comes to the Lord, he says, He says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And he was willing to give half of his possessions to the poor on top of that. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house. The religious law experts, those Moses, those Exodus scholars, were so offended that Jesus would go to be with a sinner. And yet Jesus says, This sinner, because he's recognized that and he's he's wanting to restore and do anything to make it right, salvation has come. This is fruit of repentance unto life. He was willing to go above and beyond. For any wrong I'll do whatever it takes I'll repay that's, I, I want to make things right that's a repentant person and you heard it in the scripture reading earlier Jesus quoted tooth for tooth but not for revenge he said we need to love we need to go the extra mile give him your cloak also when there's interpersonal offenses we're not to repay evil for evil We're not to make others pay who offend us. I'm not speaking here now of of criminal situations, but when others have offended you, what are we to pray about debts that we think others owe us? Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we, what? Forgive our debtors. He's expecting that's a regular part of, of what we pray. We're not denying that there's wrongs, but we're recognizing our wrongs And asking God to forgive us, we owe a debt we can't pay. Forgive us that as we do the same to others. We extend that same mercy you're extending to us. How do you forgive? Well, there's a third final point, and that's ransom. The last key word, ransom, which I think you recognize as a gospel word, is what makes restoration possible. If there's a repayment made that is beyond what we can do, look at chapter 21, verse 30. Go back to the 21:30. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed. Who would impose the ransom to redeem a life? Well, the context of verse 22 is there's a judge. There's a judge who is determining what would be paid. The end of verse 22. So who would impose a ransom payment to redeem a life? This isn't something you just decide. I'm angry and this is what they need to pay. There was a, a judge. And there was also some, some capital offenses where a ransom price could be paid to redeem one from death. For the life, here it is, of a murderer who is guilty of death. But he shall be put to death. No atonement can be made except by the blood Of the one who shed it. So if you murdered innocent life, there was no ransom allowed. You couldn't grab the horns of the altar. You couldn't have ransom. But the implication there is if that wasn't the case, ransom would be allowed. But in this case, ransom could never be allowed. And so instead of the death penalty, and there were a number of offenses in the law where there was a death penalty, there could be ransom paid to redeem, to buy back. And, and all of this is pointing to a greater ransom. It's pointing to a greater redemption that, that no mere man, even in the Old Testament they recognize no mere man can ultimately, eternally pay for the ransom that we need. Psalm 49.7, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life where the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever. And never see the pit. Here's the words, but God will ransom my soul. He's recognizing eternally and ultimately, we can't do this. This is just a, a picture, but it makes us cry out, who can? And the answer is, but God. But God will ransom my soul. All these Old Testament ransoms and all these little details are actually pointing us forward. They're our tutor to to point us forward to Christ who did what no man can for a debt that no man could pay. There was nothing sufficient for eternal life that we could ever give. We can't pay him for grace but God. Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. For he has died as a ransom to set them free from all the sins committed under the old covenant. So, all the violations of God's law in that covenant, he died so that he could actually ransom us because all of us are lawbreakers when you understand the, the principles of God's law. But praise the king of heaven that we can be ransomed, freed, restored, forgiven. Amen. The price was actually set at 30 shekels of silver. You may have recognized that number from the gospel because that's the actual amount that was paid to Judas for the life of of Jesus and that blood money was 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 used to pay to buy the potter's field but Christ's lifeblood was actually what paid the ransom. There here's what Jesus says in Mark 10:45, "The Son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." If you've never understood that, Jesus is in that context saying he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to die. He's going to be beaten, And he's going to be oppressed and it's going to be unjust. But on the third day, he's going to rise. And then after that, he says, I've come. The reason I've come is not to be served. It's to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If you've never understood that, turn from your sin and trust that he died and rose for it. Know the wages of sin is death, all sin. But His blood ransoms from death and from eternal death all who believe. God the judge is the one who imposed the ransom. He set the price, not man. And Jesus gave, Jesus paid what was imposed for the redemption of life. First Timothy 2 tells us to pray for all men starting with government leaders like those that Frank Erb serves. And it says there that God desires all men to be saved in Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. All classes of men, all kinds of people, from politicians on down, people like us, sinners like us, are part of the many that Jesus saved and ransomed Life is precious, and we needed the innocent lifeblood of Jesus. That was priceless, and that alone was sufficient to pay the atonement price. First Peter one eighteen says silver or gold couldn't pay it. Most precious metals we know, but he says, "But you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb." And I love this in Revelation five nine to the Lamb they say worthy. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the book because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation and language. That's what moves us to support missions to unreached peoples and also to reach out to people around here. So whether it's in Santani, Indonesia, or in our Sacramento State Capitol, or your school, people you're going to see tomorrow, people who don't know the Lord, we need to shine our light. And this should move us also to sing, as ye ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Our closing song calls him the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. At the close of this age, When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to sing, then anew his song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Let's close in prayer. Our great God, we thank you for the greatness of the ransom, of the restoration, the payment that Christ made for us. I pray, Lord, that you would move us to speak of these things to others, to be a light, and to, as we go from here, think much of and make much of our salvation in Christ. We pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.